Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. How's it going and welcome to episode 115 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. You can follow me at 80 Grid. That's all spelled out. And you can follow Kevin Hastings at Hastings Kevin. And lo and behold, you don't have to follow him. You can just listen to his lovely voice with us today as Kevin. Welcome back to the show, man. Thanks. For- How you doing? <laughs> it's been a while. Uh- <laughs> yeah, doing great. Thank you so much. This is awesome. As we uh, briefly discussed off air, didn't really know until about this time on Friday that this might be possible. And I am super excited to be back. Yeah. How's the how's the season between you, man? I'm, unfortunately, we haven't really chatted that much since taking a little, obviously, guy has some stuff going on. You got a new new job. It's working its way into not being on the show that often. So I apologize. We haven't really, we haven't really chatted that much. How is the very least, how's the season treating you so far? We're two months in. It's getting better. Things are starting to look up in spite of the injuries. It's been absolutely nuts. And in many of my leagues, that's starting to look better. And uh, starting to, I'll tell you one thing, when I pull up my NFBC page and it just says the list of your teams and where you rank currently, it looks a whole lot better than it did a couple of weeks ago. There's a, there's a moment of time where you, there, some people may experience this, maybe myself at one point where there's a whole lot of double digits (laughs) at one point and then and i'm not saying i'm in high single digits but these leagues now double digits once you flip to single digits you feel pretty good exactly with the exception of my gladiators those are still all horrible yeah that (laughs) like i said in the preseason i do not plan on looking at those for quite some time (laughs) all right we are lucky to have not just kevin back on the show but a very special guest to help us break down our fab considerations. We are joined by fellow pitcher list podcaster, Christopher Weber, Christopher Schwebzy Weber, one half of the In the Deep podcast, which comes out every Saturday. They focus on players that can be making a big difference in your deepest of leagues. We'll talk a bit more about with Chris and how they focus on trying to identify those deep league plays before they become shallow league plays. But before we get into all that, Chris, thanks for taking the time and joining us, man. You're doing double duty. You just put out this show yesterday, and now you're right back behind the mic with us this week. How are you doing? Yeah. Hi, friends. It's I think this is the first Pitchless podcast I've done since our mock draft in the offseason. So it's, it's good to be making the rounds within the network again. <laughs> I, I love doing these guest spots because each one just hammers home the point a little bit more that Jordan is the true talent and I'm simply being <laughs> I'm simply being carried by the tide. But yeah, you can find me at at Schwebzy on Twitter. You can find my co-host Jordan, who is a better follow podcaster, smarter person in general, at Bunt Singles. And our podcast account is at in the deep PL. 
So like Adam said, we try to provide the deep league content for you, AL only 15 team folks out there. Yeah, it's nice because the Pitcherless Podcast Network has a lot of shows, but the we all pretty much do our own little niche thing, which is nice that we get a lot of, we, we may talk about very different players throughout the course of the week with obviously on the corner, focusing on pitching or starting pitching. And then you have in the pen that's focusing strictly on relievers. You have hacks and jacks, which are really focused on hitters. And it's nice to see just like the various topics that we can talk about baseball in various different ways, seven days a week. So I like that. I like you guys are able to really stay on point week in, week out. And Kevin and I talk about it, like how there's certain players we don't talk about like ever. Maybe we talk about them in the off season a little bit, but we'll never be talking about guys that won't end up on your fab wire. And you and Jordan, Chris, do a really good job of once a guy graduates, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, graduates past that threshold that you guys use of, of rostership that, sorry, we can't talk about you anymore. They're, they're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> you have a little ceremony for them and everything. Yeah, you we do. We used, to have, we used to have a, every time that we can sense that someone's about to graduate, we always make sure to like squeeze them into an episode for just one last hurrah before they move into the over 20% range. <laughs> but this is fun because the, I, I like doing this with you guys because it's a lot of players that I don't normally get to look at and think about, at least in the sense that I have to talk about them. Fair enough. All right, let's get into some news and notes that may be impacting pretty much any show that you might hear on the network. But we tend to talk about news that is going to impact your fab considerations. So if there's other stuff that happened throughout the week, we deliberately not talking about them because I make this outline and I only put the stuff on here I want to talk about and I feel it might actually be relevant to your fab considerations. So Kevin, Welcome back. You can start us off here as we talk about a couple. It seems to be the theme of the week. Every week, this whole season, we have some young prospect pitcher either making their MLB debut or returning to the majors after a short stint in 2022, which is the case for Matt Libertor. He got the call back to St. Louis. He started on Thursday. He is set to make at least one more start next week, according to Ollie Marmel. On top of that, the Rays brought back Taj Bradley. He enters their rotation and is expected to stick in there for a while in the with the absence of Drew Rasmussen. Which of these two guys, you know, which young returnee would you be putting higher in your fab priority this weekend? Assuming they're both available, if Bradley had been dropped after he got sent back down, even though people spent hundreds of dollars on him, he still got dropped in a couple of different places, especially in those NFBC leagues where there's no IL stints or NA slots or something like that. And Libertor made his debut this year, so he should be readily available for this week's fab. Yeah, Libertor is available everywhere. 0%, I believe, in both main events and $350 online championships. So 15 and 12s, he's available. Most certainly, he's been picked up by now in leagues where you are able to pick up players prior to them making their debut or being on the 26-man roster as it works out in an FBC formats. But I, he's still my preference, and it has a lot to do with the immediate future. Todd Bradley's not available in as many places as I thought he might be. He is almost 100% rostered, in, even in 12-team NFBC leagues. But even if he was more available, I like Libertori here, and it has to do, I don't, it was only five innings. But if you look at the heat maps for his 
five inning performance a few days ago. He was pounding that four seam fastball high and just out of the zone high as well. If you look at his 34 and whatever innings that he had in 2022, his four seam fastball was middle. That's where it's dark red this season. And when it was out of the zone, it was way high. You know that, oh, let's see if I can get him to chase pitch way high. But everything, that four seam fastball right now, he is pounding right at the top of the zone and just outside the top of the zone. It's only five innings, but I feel like this is a something that is a that he's conscionably trying to do. I would love to say I want to see this again, but we're not going to have that chance. He's going in every league this Sunday. So if you didn't get in on the Bybees or the Taj Bradley when he was available, I think Libertori is probably the number one fab target of the weekend. You got to assume he's at the very least the next three digit, even with fab dollars going down and down for every team each week, at least those that are still paying attention. He's still going to go for triple digits across the board. My only question is, you know, how, you know, with everything that's going on in St. Louis, all the question marks that the front office, the management, whatever, wherever you want to point your fingers, how long does Libertori actually stick in? And this is the same question we had about Taj Bradley. This is the same question we talked about last week with other guys that are coming up. How long do they actually, Yuri Perez, how long do they stick in the rotation? How many innings are you going to get? How useful are they going to be long-term? And I'm starting to really be on the side of, I don't care. Right. If they're going to be useful for two weeks. I'm, That's no, I'm what we've s- come to. Yeah. I'm That's gonna what we've s- come to. And the thing, if you look at the schedules, I don't think I would start Taj Bradley this week. Even though both starts are at home. He gets Toronto and the Dodgers. I don't know if I'm throwing him out there. Now, a lot of us in our position where we don't have a choice. If we, if Taj, we would love <laughs> some of our teams, we would love to have Taj Bradley for a two step against the Blue Jays and Dodgers. But, and, and Libertori isn't great. He's at Great American Small Park this week. Hmm. And at first glance, I thought the following week was awesome. He gets the Royals, and I thought he would get Pittsburgh as well. But, but no, they have this weird Wednesday, Thursday <laughs> off the following, the following week, two week, weeks yeah. from now. They have a Wednesday, Thursday off. That's just crazy. So it means he'll be pushed back. He'll have a two-step the following week. And the first one at Texas, which at first glance, eh, but the roof has been closed for most of May. Most of the balls flying out of the ballpark in Arlington, or that's probably not what they call it anymore, but that was when the roof is open. It becomes much more of a pitcher's ballpark now. It's getting hot in Texas. The roof's going to be closed, so it's not going to be as bad for pitchers, so it doesn't scare me as much. Yeah, we'll get into some interesting ballpark factors for this year a little bit later on in the show. But Texas is right up there, at least in the short sample that we have of 2023, as far as hitters' ballparks go, which is a little surprising. Everybody talks about the new ballpark being a pitcher's ballpark but at least not early on this season. Yeah, both of these guys are interesting and we'll move on. But I want to give a shout out, of course, to Nick Pollock's The Pitcher List YouTube channel. He's been breaking down pitchers and the last two that are on the page are Matthew Libertor and Taj Bradley's most recent starts. So make sure you're checking that out for a little bit more in-depth analysis of pitch-by-pitch breakdown by him. He does that over on his Twitch channel and then throws it up on the YouTube channel after afterwards on a daily basis. So let's hit on a hitter here, Chris, somebody that's been 
for me, somewhat surprisingly, has been jumping around from teams that he's been on, I think, four teams in the last year and a half now as Fran Mill Reyes was DFA'd by the Royals and signs a minor league deal with the Nationals. Can the Franimal, can you see the Franimal squeezing in himself into enough playing time in D.C. to make him fantasy relevant once again? In, in short, No. I think the Fran Mill that we all knew and loved back in 2019 to 21 just isn't there anymore. In like in theory, in a vacuum, it's a positive move for him because it's a better ballpark. And the Nats are currently running out a Corey Dickerson Stone Garrett platoon that in theory should be easy to outplay for a, any half decent ball player. But I just don't think Fran Mill is that half decent ball player anymore like he hasn't shown me anything in a couple of years now to suggest that he can do that like back when he was at his best he was like putting out joey gallo power output while striking out like five six seven percent less than a joey gallo type player he was he was displaying some really solid contact skills for someone with his prodigious power and now he's striking out significantly more He's walking less than he ever has. And his he's not even he doesn't even have the power to go with it. Like he can still he can still hit that max exit below that he used to or get close to it. But like in general, he's just not doing damage. His ISO is just is like a I think a hundred points lower than it used to be. It's he's just not putting the thump into the ball like he used to. Yeah. I it's one of those things where it's like I've always really just wanted to see Reyes. And I said this. Kevin, I think I said this to you in the offseason. Like, once he signed with Kansas City, we're like, oh, does he I, does he make the outfield for the Royals? Yes, obviously. You seem to think no, and obviously you were correct in the long run there. But it's just interesting to see the, this guy, like Chris, like you said, who obviously showed something positive for a good three-year span, and then all of a sudden just completely fall off the map. It is of all the places he could have gone and like he could have gone to one of two places and that was either Oakland or Washington. Um, And obviously for his sake as a hitter, he picked the better of the two spots as far as playing time goes. You'd think, like you said, Chris, there would be an opening there for him to squeeze himself in there and take advantage of it. But I've got him in one draft and hold and that's probably as far as that's going to go for me this season unless... He just all of a sudden finds new life, but I'm not holding my breath on that one. Yeah, it makes me sad. I had to cut bait in a in a dynasty league. I think it's got sometime late last year. I just and it turned out to be a good move because he just has not gained anything back from when he used to be good. Yeah, in a similar move, I traded for Franimal, and this is embarrassing, but this was two years ago. I traded Zach Gallen for Framo Reyes because I just really needed an outfit. Yeah, I see your face, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) And then I traded literally the day before he got DFA'd by Cleveland. I traded him for in a package that brought me like Liam Hendricks or something like that. So it's still not a net win. I feel I felt pretty good about the second half of that. (laughs) I remember last draft season, Adam where I had Franville on almost every team, except in leagues that I was drafting with you. You would beat me to him sometimes. <laughs> we were both high on him. Yeah, it's he's the kind of guy that I hope at some point he just runs into the right hitting coach that figures this out, and we see him perform well again. I don't know if that's if Washington's the place for that. 
Yeah, pure speculation, of course, and is that it's not just his ability to hit the ball. It's a it's the back end of stuff. It's whether it's stuff off the field or just personality or and these are the things you heard or rumors you heard in Cleveland as well. You bring after- this up about a lot of guys. This is the kind of guy we could see be really successful overseas. Yeah. It's true. All right, let's move back into pitching, Kevin. Some unfortunate news coming out of L.A. And uh, more recently, there are actually two unfortunate pieces coming out of the Dodgers. Let's start with Dustin May. He left his last start just after one inning of work, which ended up being a grade one flexure strain. Supposedly, his Tommy John repaired UCL is undamaged. We'll see how that kind of turns out as time goes by. The Dodgers are expecting May to be out at least four to six weeks. We'll stick with May and then we'll move on to Urias in a second. But in leagues where you have limited or no IL spots, is Dustin May an easy drop at this point? Unfortunately, at this point in this season, the way things have been going, yes, he is. I that's I have a few guys that I've been holding for a while and some of them are close to returning and I hope that works out. But it's to the point where you get to that four to six week point and I don't have room for him anymore. And you know, the I know the next part of the question is like, who do we like in LA? Are we going to see Bobby Miller? And at this point, the way the Dodgers schedule comes up, I don't care. I don't like any of them. It's just like we <laughs> talked with Taj Bradley, right? We're talking at Atlanta this week. Right now, Roster Resource has Gavin Stone in that spot, mm-hmm. and I have him on a couple rosters, but I'm not playing him this week. We're, they're looking at Atlanta and at Tampa. And then the next third start, if they're whoever it is still in the rotation, gets the Yankees now with Aaron Judge back. Yeah, Dustin May is a drop, and I really don't care who his replacement is. I'm not interested. Yeah, so as you alluded to, Bobby Miller, is that an option for the Dodgers as they have a, an additional rotation spot open as Julio Urias, he hit the IL with a hamstring strain. You already touched on it, but... Is that you? Are you just going by what roster resource is suggesting as far as who's filling in those spots in the rotation, or are you expecting the Dodgers to make another move? They haven't made said move yet. It looks like they might even go with a bullpen game at some point to fill in the gap in the short term. But it, it sounds like you're. It's just not something you're interested in. Yeah, in whether general. it's Gavin Stone, Bobby mm-hmm. Miller, Michael Grove, for the, the way these starts line up on the schedule. Unfortunately, we'd like to be excited about all of these guys, and I'm just not with the upcoming schedule. And we know it's the Dodgers, so we have no idea what they're going to do. We might see all three of these guys for one start, somebody we've never heard of in there for one of those starts, a bullpen day like you said. It's It's not something I can bank on right now. Yeah, I never expected somebody like Miller to come up this week because we already have Matthew Liberatore on the docket to be the fab darling of the week. (laughs) Talked about this with Todd last week. So at the very least, they're coordinating it so that Bobby Miller comes up next week so that we can continue this weekly progression of prospect pitchers that we can all be. They're trying to make us all run out of foul by the all-star break. Exactly. (laughs) Everybody's in single digits by the middle of July. All right. We got a couple more news pieces before we get into our recommendations. But before we get into those, we do have to take our first quick break. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization 
so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, Chris, let's go back to Cleveland, as we alluded to before with Franmol. But uh, this time, it's in their rotation the Guardians place Peyton Battenfield on their IL as he joins all the other injuries that we've seen in the very shortened part of the 2023 season. At this point, the, obviously, the Guardians have already called up Logan Allen. They've already called up Tanner Bybee. They have stuck in the rotation for now. We foresee them stick, sticking in the rotation for quite some time, obviously, with act down as well. Are you expecting him to make the next move of calling up Gavin Williams to be the next young prospect pitcher to tempt our fab dollars? From a fun perspective, I hope so, but I doubt it. Instead, where if I was trying to find the next man, the next productive man up for the Guardians, I would focus my attention on the less sexy but actually productive option and who is currently on a rehab assignment for the Guardians, and that's Aaron Savali. Like he, he strained an oblique earlier this season after like just an absolutely outstanding second half to last year. And if they, like, if they do bring Gavin Williams up, I expect it to be relatively short because I would expect him to just be keeping a seat warm for Savali. Savali is ingrained enough in that rotation that as soon as he's healthy, he's going to have a rotation spot. He's not, he's not the kind of guy that's going to spend time in AAA that he doesn't have to. As for Gavin Williams, maybe the only time, the only way I really see him getting a lot of run this year is it's really, it's injury and more injury, I guess, because we have Savali coming back up and then McKenzie is going to be back up at some point. They have, you figure in a perfectly healthy Guardians rotation, Gavin Williams is like the ninth man up, something like that, maybe eighth. So it's going to take a good bit of bad luck for him to actually get a spot. Like this is the closest that he's ever gotten. And it's required what four injuries already. (laughs) And yeah, injuries are a plague on the league this year, even more so than previous years. But we do have Savali coming back. If it's just one turn through the rotation that they have to wait before getting Savali back in the rotation, I expect them to just do like a bullpen game. It's Aaron Savali, surprisingly, 22% rostered in your online championships. So in your 12-teamers on NFBC, readily available for those who are not keeping track, as Chris mentioned, on his rehab. And now they obviously have an opening back in the rotation. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Like if they've got somebody who should be in the rotation working his way back, going to why start that clock on yet another cog in their pitching machine that is the Cleveland Guardians with Gavin Williams. So might be a good time in your shallower leagues if you have the ability to stash Savali now and then watch him in his, as Nick would call it, the still ill in his first start back. That'd be great, but get him on your rosters now and see how that works out. 
Yeah. And for what it's worth, I love I love Savali. There you go. He's just fun. He's like a thinking man's pitcher. You can see him just constantly tweaking his repertoire to figure out what works. And the strikeouts weren't there in his first couple of starts, but you can look at what he was throwing and say, that's where he can find those swinging strikes. And I trust him to figure it out. So Gavin Williams, not the next name probably on the weekly prospect pitcher fab list. Maybe he'll wait his turn until after Bobby Miller comes up. All right, Kevin, in Chicago, the Cubs, they bring back Nico Horner from his IL stint, but they replace him on the IL with outfielder Cody Bellinger. He has the IL with a knee contusion. It was predated for early in the week, so he'll probably only stick stay on the IL for the minimum time, but it does affect their outfield here. So how are you seeing the Cubs outfield and the lineup in general ironing itself out for the next week and a half with Bellinger out and Horner back in. Yeah, the Cubs have four players on their roster that have started each of the last six games. And it's their outfield. Christopher Morell, Seiya Suzuki, and oh goodness, who am I forgetting? Ian Happ. All three of those guys have started the last six games in the outfield for the Cubs. I believe Ian Happ DH'd one of those games. So that's the outfield until he gets back and my first thought was "Ooh, what's brennan davis doing i know he started slow and i went and looked Ooh, it's still not well maybe he's heated up lately and i looked a little deeper oh no he's gotten worse so (laughs) that's out the window that was my hope we may see velasquez come back up but as of right now they just within the last couple of days have brought up edwin rios and mike talkman so they're, they have corner infield slash DH covered with Wisdom, Mervis, Mancini, and, and now Edwin Rios. And one of these guys, probably Michael Talkman, I would think, possibly Rios, is going to go back down when Bellinger comes back. But as far as what they've been doing for the past week or so with the lineup, there, there's not a lot of change here. Yeah, on top of that, Eric Hosmer was DFA'd finally by the Cubs. So even with his slow start, it does look like Matt Mervis has a, a pretty ho- strong hold on staying with the major league team is there as well. I love the Edwin. We love the Edwin Rios being called back up. He obviously just becomes a bench piece, a corner piece, like you mentioned, and Talkman, that fourth outfielder. I talked about it with Todd last week. With Nico Horner going down, does that just solidify Christopher Morell's spot in the lineup or at least more playing time? And it's funny that you mentioned that Morell's been starting in the outfield with Bellinger being out and Horner back in. They're just finding ways to keep Morell in the lineup at different positions. So good on him. I'm glad he's able to get that playing time because he was mashing in AAA before the call back up. All right, Chris, we'll go over Minnesota here. We got Nick Gordon suffering a shin fracture. That doesn't sound pleasant. And then Jorge Polanco, he was dealing with a hamstring strain of his own. He was placed in the IL on Saturday. With these moves, we see the return of Edward Julien to the Minnesota lineup. Should we be excited about this, especially after his first stint was less than ideal? I can put it that way. Now that he's back up, is he going to get enough run with the twins to make do any kind of damage to our fantasy rosters. Oh, I'm totally in on Edward Julian being a productive major leaguer. I think that his initial exposure to the majors in April, it looks like a classic young player pressing too much. Like he walked one time in 30 plate appearances, and that is not his game. This is a guy that routinely puts up 
walk percentage is around 20 in the minors, which just for reference, that is really, really high. Good. Like Julian crushed in the WBC. He crushed in spring training. He's literally never not hit in the minors. He's got like a career WRC plus over 140 in the minors or something. It's something stupid high like that. I really hope he can get some consistent run this time because I, I just want to see what he can do. He's the rare like lefty sweet swinging second baseman, which we haven't really had too many of those around the league lately. He does have to deal with Willie Castro's recent hot streak, which is not a sentence I expected to ever be saying this year. But I'm not going to be fooled by Willie Castro again. I think that Julian is the better player, the more talented player. And I think that is going to bear out over time. Edward Julian, 21% rostered in the main event. I think it's down to 9% in the online championships. Obviously, already has made his debut this year. So he is able to be picked up across NFBC. I don't have his roster ships in Yahoo or anything like that right now. But I'm venturing to guess that... See, because most of those are daily moves, that percentage is going to move up quicker before Sunday, just because you're able, they already know he's up. And if you need a second baseman, that'll be a name you want to be going after at least for the next week or two while he has an everyday, everyday role with all the injuries that the twins are dealing with at the moment. All right, Kevin, we'll go to San Diego here where they're missing their third baseman for a little bit. Manny Machado, he hits the IL with a fractured in his hand. Besides the fact that obviously they need to fill in the hot corner, how are you seeing the Padres infield looking for at least the next week or two with Machado missing? It's interesting. So Hayson Kim has moved over to third base and he's starting against both righties and lefties. They're a pretty matchup oriented team with several players platooning here. We're going to see when they're facing lefties, Roughnet Odor is out of the lineup. He's in against righties. Cronenworth moves over to second when they're facing a lefty. They've been trying Brandon Dixon for a couple of games here. It's not going well so far. It's only 15 plate appearances, but he hasn't done anything to speak of yet. I think we're just looking at Hayson Kim and Jake Cronenworth being solidified in this lineup, which they pretty much already were, but they're going to move around and then they're going to play the lefty righty matchups with the rest of this roster that they have for right now. I think Odour is a little bit sneaky play in deep leagues, 15 mixed and deeper because they do have several right-handed starting pitchers coming up in the schedule in the near future. So for right now, I think Odour is going to be in there in those situations. And yes, we know what Odor gives us. He doesn't steal bases anymore. In spite of the six he gave us last season, I don't think any of those <laughs> six were when I had him in a lineup. But it, but he does have power. We know he's going to hit in the low 200s. I believe his batting average on the season is below 200 at the moment. But over the last month or so, it's even higher than what we expect from him. It's about 230 over the last month or so with some power. We know, and they're going to Yankee Stadium the end of next week. For those in NFBC leagues, that's a little bit intriguing, sending a left-handed power hitter to face the Yankees with three right-handed starters on the mound. So that might be of appeal to some, but other than that, unless you're in deep leagues, I don't see a whole lot here to work with. Yeah, it was actually interesting to see that they might not 
they were even thinking about not putting Machado on the IL with the fracture. And so I, I would venture to guess that as long as he hasn't seen any complications, we'll be seeing Machado back after the minimum stay as well. Maybe just uh, something to look at just for this week, coming week, but uh, still something to look at nonetheless. I wouldn't mind throwing a dollar on Odor just to use him in New York next weekend. If I have a team where I need some power for, or even just on my bench in case I need him next week. Yeah. Yeah, That's the beauty. Of course, you can switch him out just for that series. In in that case, you don't have to keep him in your lineup all week long. All right, Chris, let's end it in New York. I got, I had to get some Mets talk in here for you and I figured I'll just end it on this one. Your Mets, they brought back up Mark Vientos. He was recalled after demolishing baseballs in AAA to start 2023, slashing 333, 416, 668 with 13 home runs, a 20.5% K rate and 11.4% walk rate across his first 166 plate appearances. Has had two starts so far for New York, one at DH, one at third base, out of the lineup for the other two. Can Vientos actually get enough playing time with the Mets to be relevant in any any size league or all size leagues, I d- hopefully? So it's going to be completely up to him, I think. So you look at a situation like Julian in Minnesota, there's a clear spot for him, right? We know that second base is open right now, and the team we know the team is committed to getting him starts most days. Whereas Vientos is a third baseman on a team with a top 25 prospect third baseman, and they already had a backup third baseman. And also he's a right-hander, but he's a right-handed hitter. And the Mets also have a player on their team who is a specialist that only DHs versus righties. So it's, I'm sorry, I've got that backwards. The problem with Vientos is that he's a righty. So if he was going to DH, he would be the other half of that platoon. He would be hitting against lefties. So he would be on the short side of things. So the problem with Vientos is there's no clear fit for him, but the Mets are in a spot right now where they need any and all offense. And Vientos provides that. He doesn't provide much else, but he provides offense. So if he comes out of the gate hot and he did hit a home run in his first game, he may force the Mets' hand and force them to be creative and maybe use Brett Beatty in left field or maybe commit to relegating Daniel Vogelbach to more of a pinch hitting role. It remains to be seen, though. I would only be adding him as a stash right now. I would not be adding him expecting him to play every day. But I think he's a good stash candidate if you're in a league with deep bets or, or you can stash him in a minor league spot or something. I want he, he being on in the deep. One of our favorite archetypes of players is the big boy that hits ball far. And Vientos is very much that. And being a Met, he is and a big boy that hits ball far. He's very near and dear to my heart. So I want him to succeed. But I have to rein in my homerism a little bit and be realistic. And knowing the Mets knowing their roster situation and knowing their manager who isn't always good about getting his young guys in the lineup every day. I I have to throw some cold water on the Vientos hype and be realistic about how much playing time he's going to get. I don't think it's going to warrant ads right now. Yeah. This was my biggest fear of Vientos is that this was not a situation where the Mets needed him. And I know you said they're obviously in need of any kind of offense that they could find it, but it seemed more like, 
Vientos was forcing the issue with his play in AAA. Like I said, 13 bombs and 166 plate appearances. That slash line, it just seemed like, what else do I need to do? I've already been, you've already called me up for a cup of coffee last year. I've already had a taste. There's nothing else I can do here. But now it gets to a point where, all right, fine, you could come up, but I don't know where you're going to go. Like he's overqualified for the one role that makes sense for him, which I guess is a good, it's a good problem to have, but it's a bad problem for fantasy managers who want to roster him. Sure. All right, guys, that is going to do it then for our news and notes section of the pod. Of course, we missed a whole bunch of stuff, I'm sure. And we only have a certain amount of time to do this podcast. So we do have to cut out some things. Make sure you're listening to the first pitch podcast, which comes out daily with Casey Bubba and Jay Crumpler. They go over all the news highlights and observations from every day's worth of games, as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league. Just a moment. We are going to talk with Chris about what they talk about with what he talks about with Jordan on in the deep in the your deepest of options and how we are going to be looking at players before they become shallow league relevant. Before we do that, we are going to take our second quick break. We are back. Of course, you are still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, once again, alongside Kevin Hastings. And this week, we are joined by Christopher Weber. And Chris, we want to touch on what you guys talk, what you and Jordan talk about on In The Deep every day, every week on Saturdays, talking about the deepest of leagues and the players that go into that. And what I really want to get out of you real quick is just... What are the rules? We talked, alluded to this earlier. There's only certain type of players that you guys talk about. What kind of rules do you guys utilize to filter out the players that you do decide to talk about? What players you, you're not going to talk about? And then what are you looking for in, in said players that make them still interesting to and fantasy relevant? So the thing that we had to figure out like at the in, inception of or conception of the podcast is like what is going to define a deep league for us which everyone hears deep league and they think something different if you're in if you're used to playing standard leagues a 15 teamer is deep to you personally in like al onlys nl onlys dynasties i'm in every sort of deep league but if you told me about your 30 team league i would be like no i'm not doing that that is too much (laughs) so we decided to keep it simple we use yahoo and espn a, a mix of their adp and sorry their roster percentages and we talk about players who are at 20% and lower just in, in those two leagues, which th- thankfully Fantasy Pros provides a, a, a mix of those two ADPs for us to use. As far as what stats we're focused on, honestly, th- there's, no one, th- there's no one stat that works for all hitters. There's no one stat that works for all pitchers. It's all case by case. Like if we were just going to use the same thing for every sort of hitter or every sort of pitcher we i don't think i don't think we'd be very good as analysts some of my favorite things to look out for are the combination of zone contact and hard hit but that that has also bitten me before because it makes me really love Kebrian Hayes in spite of him seem, seeming to be a a pretty solid for a few years now and when it comes to when it comes to like power hitters and contact hitters I'm looking at different things with power hitters, I'm specifically looking at not just fly balls versus ground balls, but also like their which direction they're hitting them in. Because there's a lot of guys who seemingly 
should be good power hitters. I don't know, Max Kepler and Matt Veerling come to mind, or Alec Thomas earlier this year, who, if you just looked at their fly ball rates, their hard hit rates, their exit velos, you'd be like, this guy should be hitting home runs. But then you actually look at where they're hitting their fly balls and that they're hitting them all to the opposite field. And it's, oh, duh, that's why he's not hitting home runs because everything is to like the power alley in the opposite field where it's really hard to hit home runs. It's, again, it's different for every player. Like when it comes to pitchers, I mean, being a part of pitcher list and being familiar with PLV and all of our new stats and everything, we do a lot of our analysis for pitchers really based on pitch by pitch. Like the we try to break down their repertoire, see where there's room for improvement, see what's causing them to struggle, and if that's something that can be removed, see what's be, see what's working, and see if that could be emphasized. I it's yeah, like I said, there's no one answer, so it's really just it's a lot of seeing what makes a specific archetype of player work, and focusing in on if these individual players can work with those archetypes. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. It would be weird if you just went down a stat line of for every hitter that you guys talk about and just use the same stats, underlying stats for every yeah. single player, regardless of team context or lineup position or anything. Yeah. Like Luis Arias stinks because his hard hit rate stinks. That's <laughs> the only way it can, that's the only answer. It's the only possible answer. Kevin, when we're talking, when you're talking about your deep leagues or if we're just doing 15 versus 12s, are you, more in we talked about this a lot in the offseason regarding playing time especially when it comes to hitters is the playing time or the guaranteed lineup spot more or less important in your shallow leagues versus your deep leagues or vice versa oh that that kind of goes both ways i think in the deeper league it's harder to get consistent playing time at all positions in your lineup with more players being used out of the player pool in a shallower league while it should be easier to have guys that are getting full-time plate appearances, the quality of those plate appearances becomes more important. So it goes both ways. One thing that this it's off the subject, but it pertains to this. When Rob DiPietro posted earlier this week, the pace for 80th percentile that we need to be on right now in each category for five by five Roto leagues, the most intriguing thing to me was how close those numbers are in 15-team leagues versus 12-team leagues. There's not nearly as big of a gap as you might think. And I'm not sure what to think of that yet. You would think those numbers should be quite a bit higher in the 12-team leagues, the pace we need to be on right now. And they're not. So maybe it's that one thing I have noticed in the past in 12-team leagues, I think... While we know we need to burn and churn more often in 12-team leagues, I also think at the same time we get a little more complacent with big-name players. And so that could be part of it, possibly. But that's what's – all of this kind of ties together, and I think the plate appearances are important. We talked about this quite a bit in the offseason. At the same time, what you're doing with those plate appearances matters more. I don't care that Taylor Walls has 100 less plate appearances than other players when he has both more home runs and more stolen bases. And in fact, more runs and RBIs than a lot of players would double his plate appearances. So it's intriguing and it's a tough question. But in general, 
yeah, in the 12s, you got to have guys getting full-time plate appearances and you hopefully are getting guys with quality plate appearances. In the 15s, strong side of platoons, I, I am not afraid of them at all. I throw them in there every week. He touched on it just there. I think it's really interesting. We focus it on this show. Talk about guys you want to be picking up in fab. Chris, you talk about it on your show about guys that are not rostered and probably should be rostered in more spots based on what they're doing or what they're not doing or what have you. I think it would be even just as interesting, Kevin, as you alluded to, there are certain players that you get complacent about and you just you're not dropping them because you drafted them too high or you just think they're going to turn around or what attention. have you, you or you're not, yes, you you're not paying attention good and you just leave them there. And like, you think he's a set it and forget it guy. And you don't realize how bad he's hurting your team. Chris. So are, how often do you and Jordan talk about guys that were rostered at a higher clip? And then all of a sudden they are being dropped and now you're forced to talk about them. Or if they're being dropped, these are not guys you're thinking about talking about in general it's rare because if you think about it if a team has a player who is supposed to be set it and forget it and playing every day especially since we're using espn and yahoo rosters uh, rostership numbers that probably two of the more casual websites out there if you have all these players that were supposed to be set it and forget it and they're not doing well you're probably not paying too close attention to your team anymore and not dropping the guys that should be dropped so it's not often that a guy will go from 100% rostered to under 20 in the same season to begin with for us to even talk about them but generally if they have fallen that far we're not like <laughs> they've done something really wrong and we probably don't care about them yeah i think the conversation that'd be more even more interesting to me would be finding those players that are almost over rostered as opposed to being under rostered. And you're like, all right, why is this guy at 60%, 70% rostered? He's not doing anything for you. And I think that is something that uh, you'll read articles here or there every once in a while on different sites. Somebody will point out like, Hey, this guy's not doing anything. And they'll have a list of top 10 most over rostered players or whatever. But on a more regular discourse, be like, hey, you need to be dropping X, Y, and Z because he's the underlying, like we talk about the underlying stats of guys that are about to break out or doing good things, you're just not really noticing it yet or haven't had enough plate appearances to make the sample size big enough. Flip that on a TED and realize, hey, this guy has lost something. He's not worth your time. At the very least, maybe he should be benched as opposed to being dropped. More than likely, you bench a guy long enough, especially in a shallower league that need, that usually leads to being dropped and just worrying about it later maybe that could be a new segment for us guys that should be under 20 percent rostered yeah. but aren't <laughs> guys we should guys we should be allowed to talk about yeah <laughs> but don't want to yeah. <laughs> all right guys let's let's talk about some of those players that we are excited to be talking about this coming Sunday for fab you guys that we, that are probably available in different size leagues. That doesn't have to be your deepest leagues. We are looking at 12 teamers as well. That could help you at least for this coming week, if not beyond let's get right into it. Like we said, like we say every single week we go category by category. We'll start with our hitting categories. We'll go with power to start us off home runs, RBIs, Kevin, welcome back. It will let you lead us off here. Who is going to hit a couple bombs for us this coming week that you're willing to put some fab dollars toward? 
For the first time this season, the Colorado Rockies are at home for seven games. It's the first time this season they've been at home for both halves of the week for those in NFBC formats. Brenton Doyle is now their everyday center fielder. He is barely over half rostered in 15-team main event leagues, only 9% rostered in online championships. The interesting thing here with Brenton Doyle is I could have used him in the speed category as well. In just 20 games, he has four home runs, but he's got six stolen bases. The problem is he's got a 34% strikeout rate, and I don't feel like using a guy for stolen bases and runs with that type of strikeout rate. Just the bias I have in my head. We're used to using guys with a 34% strikeout rate for power. With them being at home all week and his availability, I think Brenton Doyle's a nice choice. I also like Paul DeYoung. He's been back for a couple weeks. He's been being talked about on this show and others out there, but still available in over a quarter of 15-team main event leagues. And this always intrigues me when there's this big of a gap. Only 9% rostered in the online championships. So a huge difference there. I know it's a difference between 15-team leagues and 12-team leagues, but shortstop is in short supply, and we've seen some injuries. I'm pretty shocked that he's available in over 90% of 12-team leagues out there. Yeah, you mentioned Doyle could have been an option for you in the speed category. In the last three weeks, he is a top. He's in the top 10 of guys who are taking advantage of his opportunities, given like you mentioned six stolen bases, but he's 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 had six opportunities as well. So he, every time he's had an opportunity to run, it seems as though he is, he's doing it. All right, Chris, moving on to your options here be, beyond call the obvious, the low hanging fruit that Kevin took in Colorado, since they are home for all week, who are you looking at that might be able to add some power to your lineup for this coming week? Fun thing about Brenton Doyle, who Kevin was talking about last week on our episode from what was it? The 13th. I called him 2023's Garrett Hampson. And since that moment, he's just been on like the craziest tear. Up Garrett Hampson. On, yeah. Yeah. I called him. <laughs> I invoked Garrett Hampson's name and I uh, somehow flicked the switch in Brenton Doyle to be the, like the best player in fantasy for a week now. <laughs> but I digress. For, for power hitters, looking, I, there, there's a lot of fun ones, like even in our sub 20% range that Jordan and I like to talk about. At first base, Nick Prado is actually looking like he might be fulfilling some of his promise from back when he was a more highly sought after prospect than Vinny Pasquantino. Prado, actually, if you speak, speaking of that episode on the 13th, Jordan did a his every week, every episode, we do a deep dive. We talk for five to 10 minutes about a player. Jordan and I choose one player each to do that for. Jordan talked about Nick Prado last week. So if you want some solid in-depth Nick Prado analysis, check that episode out. But for the last two weeks, Prado has put up a solid 950 OPS, hit a couple of home runs, and has just generally been fantastic this year after striking out just at an incredible rate the year before. And this is like the year of the the comeback prospect, isn't it? Like I could rattle off like a dozen guys who were major prospects scuffled last year. This year, they're incredible. Prado is looking to add his name to that list. He has been playing every day. He even threw in a stolen base for good measure this week, although that's not really what we care about here. His his calling card is his power. 
and it's a rough ballpark and he's still striking out 30 plus percent of the time but it's hard to argue with what he's doing right now the 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 batting average is going to come down he's sitting at a 488 babbit but i think the royals want to see him succeed i i he like him and Vinny Pasquantino holding down first base and DH forever would be a fun outcome for them and a good outcome for them. So I, I expect him to keep getting run and to and I'm excited to see if he can continue the power output that he's been putting up so far. Yeah, Prado being rostered in 100% across the main event, but still 56% rostered in those 12-team online championships, so still readily available in See, those 12-teamers. That's the problem with using the roster numbers that I use, because between ESPN and Yahoo, he's at 14%. Yes, it's slightly insane. It's some Sometimes when we see these rosters, there are percentage differences across different platforms. One thing scares me about Prado as a Royals fan, and it doesn't have anything to do with him. But in the immediate near future, the Royals are set to face four left-handed starters this week. And while in the limited plate appearances he has had against lefties, he's performed well. Unfortunately, the Royals like to fit Hunter Dozier into the lineup when they face lefties. And so that's taken one of the corner infield or DH spot away four out of seven games this week, possibly. So keep an eye on that as well but i love mick prado as a hitter seems at the very least a nice stash for this week and if there are those who are more aware of what kevin's talking about as far as what he's got for matchups coming up you might be able to get him onto your bench a lot cheaper and then you might have might might have if you had better matchups coming up chris do you want to hit anybody else on here do you want me to move on i'm curious what using the numbers you have what is francisco alvarez's roster numbers like Alvarez is he's everywhere. He's yeah, everywhere. He, yeah, he's oh. rostered 100% in the OC, so he's definitely 100% in main. 11%. Yeah, those are two it, catcher leagues, that's why. Yeah. That's true. Uh, those are also two catchers. Yeah. So he's at 11% in ESPN and Yahoo, and if you are in a one catcher league, I think Alvarez has hit the point where he is one catcher league. I don't want to say must roster, but I think there's a very non-zero chance that he is one of the best 10 catchers in the league right now. That might be my Mets fan hyperbole breaking through, but watching him at the plate right now compared to his cup of coffee last year and his first week or two this year, he has settled down. He is really impacting the ball. His strikeout rate is has dropped pretty precipitously since his initial plate appearances. And man, he is he's... I know clutch means nothing, but he has had some just absolutely clutch hits in the last week. And the reason I think that is a particularly good thing is because he showed a major tendency to overswing in his initial time with the club. So the fact that he's settling down and feeling more comfortable means that he should be able to let his natural talent take over and flash his power, which is top end. He's already put up a max exit velo of, I think, 113.6, which you know, for a catcher, there there really aren't that many catchers that can get up there. Yeah, cor- I'll correct myself. I was looking at the wrong Alvarez. Of course, Jordan Alvarez is 100% <laughs> rostered everywhere. A little different. Francisco is at 96% in the online championship. So that he's there's at least two leagues in which he is still sitting out there on the wire. 98% rostered in TGFBI. So there's that one TGFBI league if you are listening to this and you're lucky um, enough to see him on your wire. I'm you know, furious. That is not my TGFBI league. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, Kevin, you would be proud of me. I'm currently sitting in second place amongst the 430 some odd teams in TGFBI. 
That's amazing. I saw that you were up there. I hadn't looked over the last few days. Love it. I just cannot pass the guy in first. I was going to say, he, he's Daniel Smirlock. He's having an incredible season. He's top 10 in both hitting and pitching, and I just cannot pass him. I've been sitting in second for forever. Yeah. I am curious to see if, if Francisco Alvarez was straight, like randomly dropped in these leagues, and that's why he's available, or if these leagues are just really slow to the upkeep. Because I talk about it every week. Always check your drops. Always see the interesting guys mm-hmm. that are available for whatever reason that may be. I was able to grab Josh Lowe last somewhere week. last I week. I lost out, but last week, for some reason, Aaron Nola was dropped in a yep, league that I s- I'm in. That. He ended up going for well over 400. I, You know me. I don't wow. go that high on players, but <laughs> I was in for higher than I usually go. But Was yeah, that one absolutely. of our listener leagues? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I had somebody message me about that. Josh <laughs> yeah. Lowe was somebody I picked up in one of our listener leagues, and then John Gray also was dropped. And that one, it was a little bit more understandable. He was dropped, obviously, before he had his good return game. But uh, always somebody interesting on the wire. So just check. Oh, yeah. I've added it it, not to keep bringing up TGFBI, but in the last two weeks, people to in their rush to add guys like Mason Miller, Taz Bradley, et cetera, legitimately good starters get dropped. I have added Edward Cabrera and Brady Singer in the last two weeks because people drop them for the next big thing. Like, all right, I'll just get the guy that's, you know, already pretty good. Yeah, it's interesting because I I see those guys get dropped all the time in 12-teamers, but in a 15-teamer like TGFBI is way, yeah, way less common. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our speed categories here. Chris, I'll let you lead us off here. Guys that if you're looking to stream some stolen bases, if you're looking to score some runs, as I always say, runs are part of this category. Let's not forget about them. Who might you be looking at to to hit those categories for us? I, I think my favorite guy who hasn't really started to run yet, but I think will, is Harrison Bader of the Yankees. But in ESPN Yahoo, he's at 43%, which is so someone I would not normally get to talk about, but I was a really big fan of him a couple of years back before he had... So a couple of years back, all of a sudden, he was just running like crazy for St. Louis. And then he got traded and then he got hurt a couple of times. And I think people have forgotten that before he got hurt and got traded, that he was running wild for a little bit there. So I'm hoping that between the new rules and his health now, I'm hoping that we can get back to the running like crazy Harrison Bader of early last year. So I, and the thing that I like about Bader is that on top of the speed, he is also going to contribute pretty much across the board in that lineup, in that ballpark, and just, he's got a good amount of pop himself. So the number one most exciting thing about Bader is that he used to be a 30 strike 30% strikeout guy. Like for three consecutive years, he was between like 28 and 32. And then he figured something out. And now he's 20 or less. He's at 10% so far in his brief time back from injury. I'm kind of excited to see what he can do, even if it is for the Yankees. Yeah, I would expect Bader to start running at some point as well. He's always been a guy who's who's run above average S spot times or percentages where he's taking advantage of those opportunities he hasn't had that many opportunities granted he hasn't been back that long either he's only had 15 opportunities to steal second base so far this year and only taken three of them so it's still as a percentage that's still pretty good it's just a matter of giving him a little bit more of a green light and maybe just worried about coming back from that injury so we'll see the longer time goes by more confident he can be the Yankees can be with him not hurting himself again, running the bases. All right, Kevin, anybody else out there that you'd be looking at for this coming week that could either steal some bases or score some runs? 
Yeah, like you said, it never hurts to check, and you say it every week. Check on John Birdie's availability. He is almost universally rostered, but he is available in some leagues in each category. He's only 94% rostered in the main event, 89% in online championships. That's not a lot, but check, because they have four games at Colorado, two of those against lefties, and then two more games over the weekend against lefty starters when they play the angels. So we, I'd expect John birdie to be in the starting lineup, at least those four games this week. So not a lot of availability, but doesn't hurt to check. And then in, in 12 team leagues, Michael Garcia is still available of the Kansas city Royals in 38% of leagues. He is 100% rostered in the 15 team main events, but in 12 teamers, he's available in over a third of the leagues, everyday third baseman. I brought up earlier four games versus lefty starters this week in a seven game week. He's playing pretty much every day. Like I said, against these lefties, the Royals will probably squeeze Hunter Dozier in there a couple of days in different spots. One of those will probably send Garcia to the bench. He's only got two stolen bases on the year, but he stole 39 in the minors last year and 35 in 2021. I do think more stolen bases are coming from Garcia if he can continue to get on base. And and he's got the playing time to do it, especially with the seven-game week coming up. Yeah, one really deep option I will throw out there is Corey Juke of Houston. Really mostly a bench piece right now, but he has been pretty much the strong side platoon in left field for the Astros. Granted, that's also been while Chaz McCormick and Jose Altuve were on the IL. And now that they're both on, it's just a, a little bit surprising to see Jolk being, he's been in the starting lineup for two, three of the last four games where they faced lefty starters as well. So they very well may be trying to keep him in the lineup. And he is taking full advantage in the last three weeks He's had eight opportunities to steal, and he's taken three of them. And he obviously has the speed and the experience on the base pass to sneak one in there. So just just somebody a name to keep an eye on, if not for this week, but if you are maybe moving forward, if he continues to see, at the very least, strong side platoon playing time for the Astros, as I tend to say, the Astros have, I tend to say is if you can get a piece of the Astros lineup, try to do this year, not so much. They haven't been, they haven't been that top rated off that we knew from at least the last couple of years, but that's not to say that won't turn around. And even if he is toward the bottom of that lineup, that will give him more opportunities to, or it should see, he should see more opportunities as long as he can continue to get on base to get some stolen bases in there for you. All right, talking about opportunity, let's talk about some guys that might have some good matchups coming up for the week. We kind of alluded to a couple of different notes throughout the show, but I will synopsize here with the schedule. There are 14 teams that do have a full seven-game work week coming up. Tampa Bay, Toronto, the White Sox, Detroit, Oakland, Seattle, Atlanta, Miami, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Colorado, and San Francisco all have seven games. There are no teams this coming week that have two off days, so every other team has the six, either off Monday or Thursday. No weird Wednesday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Wednesday off days Kevin that Kevin talked about in the following week. And just to note, Colorado is home all week for the first time, four versus Miami and three versus the Mets. First time we've seen that this year, as Kevin mentioned. 
and something I just wanted to throw out there, and this is obviously a very small sample when it comes to park factors, but it's interesting we talk about hitters going into a more friendly ballpark or less friendly ballpark or what have you. And there's certain stadiums that have had certain stigmas attached to them. Some of the obvious ones, obviously Colorado. We talk about Cincinnati a lot. Fenway has been connected to that for the last couple of years as well. But in this year alone, just want to throw out there the top three ballpark or hitter friendly ballparks based on StatCast data are Colorado, Boston, and then Texas, St. Louis, and Kansas City, Kevin, all up there over 107 points on there with each one of them also being in the top top half of home runs as well. So just something to consider if you're looking at these things in the short sample, especially in the spring as before the weather really starts warming up, we start saying the ball flies out in Camden or in, in, in D.C. once the summer hits or and Kevin, you alluded to Texas being a different ballpark when the when the roof is open or closed. And obviously this plays into the fact that some of these teams, especially Texas, have had very positive offenses for their home for their home teams as well. So just something to keep in mind. Don't always keep an eye on just like what you assume a stadium has been playing. Things change throughout the course of not only the season, but over the course of multiple seasons as dimensions change and as weather patterns change and stuff like that. Just want to throw out there something to think about with all that in mind and then whatever else you guys want to be thinking about. Kevin, let's start off with you. Who looks like they might have a good matchup coming up for this coming week that they can take advantage of? Yeah, Atlanta has seven games this week. Six of them, as of right now, appear to be versus right-handed starters, which is great for Eddie Rosario. He is available in one 15-team main event league, but he's available in 84% of online championship leagues. Big gap. Like I said before, that always intrigues me. It's not just the difference, I don't think, in in the number of players that are being rostered versus available in the player pool. When you get that big of a gap, I think a lot of the main event players are ahead of the shallower league players and picking some of these guys up. And they have to look a week ahead a little more often in the 15-team leagues rather than the 12-team leagues. And they're looking at this week, seven-game week, six of them against right-handed starters available in a very large majority of 12 team leagues. And then Adam, when we were on the bench with Bubba with KC Bubba uh, a couple of months back, right before the season started, I made the statement that Freddie Furman will be on the opening day Royals roster. And as soon as we ended recording, he was sent to triple I remember that. I really think it was a time manipulation thing. I don't think they want, uh, they don't want Melendez catching any longer he's an outfielder slash dh and he hasn't been good against lefties and freddie Furman is their backup catcher now i think with the four lefties on the mound this coming week he's 30 percent rostered in main event league so in 15 team two catcher leagues being the backup catcher for the kansas city royals is somewhat appealing he's only two percent rostered in 12 team leagues I think a week like this week, even in 12-team leagues, he can be viable as a second catcher. Obviously, in one-catcher leagues, he's not even going to be on anybody's radar. But even in 12-team, two-catcher leagues, Freddie Furman, I think, will get the plate appearances this week to pay off. 
The question I have is, will Melendez catch 10 more games this season to keep catcher eligibility in most formats? Not unless Thurman gets injured. All right, all right. He's he's the backup catcher now. I thought he would be all season. I really think this was a time manipulation thing with we really don't think of typically with players of this caliber. But I think in this instance, this was an extra year of control for Freddie Furman as a backup catcher for now for the Kansas City Royals. Luckily, in my Yahoo League, he's already hit that threshold. He'll keep catcher (laughs) eligibility for next year. But in most formats where you need the 20 games to keep it for the next season, he's only halfway there. So he's got 10 more days behind the plate. He'll he'll keep it in your NFBC formats and other formats like that. But Yahoo, he's already got it. All right, Chris, anybody else looking like that they might have some good matchups coming up based on how many games they play, who they're facing, or whatever else you want to be using in there? All right. This is purely taking advantage of something you guys have mentioned, which is the seven game week at Coors Field. I cannot explain why this is the case, but Randall Gritchick is at 6% roster ship in ESPN Yahoo, which makes absolutely no sense to me. He was injured to start the year. Sure. I had him stashed. I, I drafted him late in multiple leagues with the intention of, you know, stashing him on an IL until he got healthy. And he is, he's hitting 328 so far. And give me seven games of Randall Gritchick at Coors this week. Please and thank you. I don't think you need to say much else. I think that's pretty much sums it up there. Yeah, he's in Coors. Great. There you go. You don't get that opportunity. And as Kevin has mentioned a lot in the offseason, you're not... You haven't. We haven't seen this opportunity yet this season, and we're not going to see it a lot at all the rest of the season as well. Yeah, until late. Like, it's like a lunar eclipse. Trading leagues, like <laughs> if you're in trading and playoff leagues, like three of the past, last four weeks of the season, this will be the case. So that's an angle to be looking forward to when people are tired of these guys not performing. But yeah, absolutely. This is, and we're to the point now. We're two months into the season. People are forgot about a full week at Coors Field, I think. Yeah, it's not something that we even assume it'll happen ever again. (laughs) All right, let's get into some of these pitching categories, guys. Wins and Ks are counting categories to start us off. Chris, lead us off here. Who, Who looks like they might actually get some wins for us? The wins have been... As they tend to be, one of the more difficult things to uh, to stream for, but you still got to do it. I, If you had asked me last week, be, and I would have said Patrick Corbin, and I am stunned. I am shocked that I wound up being right and I got a two-win week out of him. <laughs> I just need to do a victory lap at my bad process, good results, win there. <laughs> but this week, honestly, the low roster ship, good pitcher to start week combo is just not really out there this week. I think my favorite like barely rostered to start week is Dane Dunning this week. Dunning gets Pittsburgh and at Baltimore at Pittsburgh at Baltimore. And he's not going to get you K's. I do not think he's going to get you a lot of K's. That's just not who he is. I he's, I don't know if he's a 20% strikeout arm, let alone a 25% strikeout arm, which is the number that I like to see. But I Pittsburgh is scuffling at Baltimore is a pretty good place for a ground ball pitcher to be. And honestly, that Texas offense is incredible right now. So if you're hunting wins, which is, I don't think, generally a good way to scout 
for pitchers, but if you need wins, I think Dunning is going to be your guy this week. Yeah, Dunning seems to be a popular name going around once he actually seemed like he is locked into that rotation piece now in, uh, in Texas. Also, I'm very invested in Dane Dunning being good because Nick Pollock and I were discussing my legacy league team, the staff league that he and I are in together, and he was scoffing at Dane Dunning being on my team in a 12-teamer. <laughs> and Dane Dunning has been awesome since that moment. So I'm very invested in this Vargas rule continuing. There you go. Kevin, who are you looking who are you looking at to get those counting stats up for you in the patch, pitching categories this week? I got a few guys, and most of them are pretty well rostered in 15 team leagues, but have availability in 12s. Brady Singer, 100% rostered in the main event, but only, oh, I, I forgot and pulled away. He's available in a third of 12 team leagues. So not a lot of availability, but double check. I mentioned the Royals seven game week. He will get Detroit and Washington. Two of the bottom three teams versus right-handed pitching in baseball. Detroit is last. Washington is 28th. Coincidentally, the Royals themselves are 29th. So the only thing standing between Brady Singer facing the two worst teams versus right-handed pitching in baseball is his own offense. And then these are not for the faint of heart, a couple of these. Sean Manaya, I know he has not been good, but the two of the three worst teams in baseball as far as OPS goes on the season versus left-handed starters are the Minnesota Twins and the Milwaukee Brewers. And that's who Sean Manaya gets this week as a left-handed starter. On the same note, Mike Clevenger, right, hasn't been really good. He's available in about half of 12-team leagues. And the White Sox get a couple of teams absolutely horrible against right-handed starters. Cleveland Indians and Detroit Tigers. And then... One more, not as quite difficult to get people to buy in on. I don't think Alex Wood is available in, oh, 50%, 49% of 12-team leagues, and he gets the Brewers as well. He's the only one of these with a single start, but it's against a team that's absolutely horrible against his handedness of pitching. All of these teams that I just mentioned, every one of them, below a 650 OPS versus the handed pitcher that we're starting against them. This is all about the matchups and that's the way I'm rolling with the attrition we've seen in starting pitching this year. We, I, I think we all came into the season saying we're going to stream pitchers less than we have in the past. And we don't even have that as a choice anymore. We have to find some guys. So I'm looking for, uh, I'm looking for the bad hitting teams as, as far as matchups when we have, we're being forced into this. Yeah, I want to ask you guys about the name I just threw up here just because I was actually surprised because he has a two-start because of his background or of the last couple starts and because of the matchups he has going on, what your actual interest level is because he is readily available. 7% rostered in online championships, very low percentages in the main event as well. I'm talking about Michael Lorenzen of Detroit. He faces, he has a two-step 
at Kansas City and then versus the White Sox, two offenses that could go either way, I'm sure, but don't really scare anybody. And with what Lorenzen's been able to do in his last, at least the last two starts, going six and seven innings respectively, equal strikeouts in those starts as well. Whether it's a picks mix change or just changing the way he does stuff and the way he attacks hitters. Chris, I'll start with you. Is Lorenzen even a name that you are considering in he's readily available in 12 teamers are you streaming him in a 12 teamer because of this two-step oh absolutely jordan actually talked about him on again jordan is the smarter of the two of us jordan talked about him on the episode that we recorded yesterday that went up this morning it's a great two-star week he's been incredible lately great home ballpark great ballparks in general in the al central with the exception of chicago but thankfully he gets chicago at home it's one of the better i'd say it's among the best two-start weeks out there if you're talking guys who are available. Kevin, are you believing in what Lorenz is doing enough to put him out there for both starts? Yes. I, like I said, we're at this point with these guys. And yeah, and speaking for just the Kansas City start alone, he would have to be facing the Rockies in Colorado or something for me to pass that up as the Royals against right-handed Starters, like I said, they're second to last in baseball, sandwiched between the other two teams that that I was (laughs) using other pitchers against. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, readily available in those 12 teamers. Like I said, 7% in the online championship, 76% rostered in the main event. So still about a quarter of those leagues out there. He is available. But I'm venturing to guess since this two-step was already in the works that those other three quarters probably pulled the trigger a week early just to save a little bit of fab. Exactly. That's the gap I'm talking about. Like lots of times when you see that gap in roster ship percentages, it's the difference between a 15 team and a 12 team league. But when it's a huge gap, like a couple of the players we talked about earlier and now Lorenzen, it's the main event players being a week ahead. And if they haven't been picked up in your 12s, you probably should. All right, let's move on to our ratio categories here, guys, as we're trying to chip away, even here in May, at your ERA and your whip. Kevin, who are you looking at to chip away at these ratios for you? Man, I know it's been a while since I've been here on the show, but I did not intend, I promise, to talk about this many Kansas City Royals. But when it comes to <laughs> to make up for lost time. Yeah. yeah Zach Grinke, over his last four starts, he's won at least five innings in each of those starts. I mentioned he, he gets the Tigers, and they're absolutely horrendous against right-handed pitching, the worst in baseball. He's only 19% rostered. The reason I put him in ratios and not in wins and Ks is because the Royals may not score enough for him to win, and he doesn't strike out a lot of guys. But he has been getting three or four strikeouts, and he's going at least five innings. Typically, I talk about relievers in this spot that can really help our ratios. And I have a couple of those guys I'm going to bring up. But Zach Grinke, he's only going to be out there one time. And with it being the Tigers, I expect five-plus innings. I do not expect six-plus innings, but I expect five. And of our, if we're going to talk about multi-inning relievers, about five or six innings is what we're hoping for. In this case, I'll take the starter. I'll take Zach Grinke because he probably will go five and we get the chance for that win versus the Tigers. They've been horrible against right-handed hitters, and Zach Grinke has been really good. His last four starts, his ERA is under three. Matt Moore for the Angels has been outstanding this season. He's only 6% rostered in 15-team main events. 
He's the type of guy that we talk about this all the time, Adam. I'm going to have about 15 of these guys in my, at least in my $1, right? For a $1 backup. You get one of them. guys. And then <laughs> one of the guys that started this category for us a couple of years ago and then wasn't good <laughs> last year has been outstanding for the Colorado Rockies and even when pitching in Coors Field. Brent Suter, he is not rostered anywhere. The Rockies have the seven-game home week. He will be used probably at least three times. And like he was a couple of years ago when we talked about him a lot, he's being put into situations when where the team is down a run or a tie game and he's got a couple of wins in his last five appearances like he was a couple of years ago. Brent Suter, I know this is a ratios category, and that's what he's given us but he could also sneak a win out of us this, for us this week. Yeah, I like, if you really look at the past usage, Moore looks like he has a good potential of not pitching. He's not going to pitch today as we're recording this on Saturday. And then he also went back-to-back days before that, so he probably won't pitch on Sunday as well, which will lead him to getting as many innings as possible for the next couple for the next week ahead. Something I am always looking at when we are streaming these relievers, I want to get as much innings out of them to make as much of a dent in these ratios as possible. So if this is something like if Suter were to go and pitch, he didn't pitch today on Saturday. If he does go, if he does pitch on Sunday, he didn't pitch the last two days prior. He's still going to be somebody that could be utilized throughout the course of a seven day work week, even though all those games are in Colorado. But in short starts, sport, start spins, those relievers can still be useful for the Rockets. It's funny. Most of the runs Brent Suter has given up this season have been on the road. On the road. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Chris, anybody else out there that you might be streaming in there to chip away at your ratios, especially if you're in a, you have a team that is really hurt by injuries and you need to fill in those spots? Oh, I'm eyeballing two teams in particular and their rotations, the Twins and the Orioles. With the Twins, I'm looking at Bailey Ober and Louis Varland who this is going to be dependent on how big your league is, but Ober is in available in 50% of Yahoo and ESPN leagues. Varland is available in 80% of those leagues. Both of them have just pitched to fantastic results so far, and they get there by filling up the strike zone, and they are not walking anybody. And if we're talking ratios and floor, not walking anybody is a really great place to start. <laughs> These guys give you the bonus of also striking players out, which is a little bit different than the Orioles guys. So there's been a lot of a lot of words spoken about the Orioles having the, the a lot of the Astros former brain trust working for their organization now and how it's done wonders to turn their organization around. And they're turning into a pitching factory but not in the way that like the Guardians or the Astros are. Like the Guardians and the Astros turn out like aces whereas the Orioles just seem to be churning out a lot of like high level Tobies, like your Tyler Wells, your, your Kyle Gibson's, your Kyle Bradish's, but any of those guys that are available, like I, it, it, unless it's a top tier offense, I trust them to get quality starts out of these not fantastic pitchers. It's really interesting what they're doing over there. They're getting a lot out of pitchers who aren't as talented as like, your top 50 guys on the list or whatever. 
You're like they're getting a lot of production out of guys who have no business putting up production. That's what I heard. <laughs> but yeah, I think if Tyler Wells was a national, I think he'd be like in AAA. Sure. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So a couple of really good guys to look at as far as those counting sets, ca- counting categories they're talking about, the ratios. But now let's talk about everybody's favorite category, and that is saves. Chris, I'll let you lead us off here in the saves category. Whether this is a stash play or somebody you think is going to find their way into some saves this coming week, who are you looking at? Speaking of the Nationals, Hunter Harvey. I... Man, I am going to die on this hill. Before the end of the year, Hunter Harvey is going to be the closer for that team. I do not think Kyle Finnegan is good. I think Hunter Harvey is a good bit better than him. I am furious that Hunter Harvey had to face Jorge Soler in a game the other day because Hunter Harvey is a notable fastball pitcher and Jorge Soler is a notable fastball destroyer. And that ended to very predictable results. Harvey is actually changing things up a little bit more this year where previously he would throw his fastball like 75% of the time. He's actually lowered his fastball usage by I think 12% and he's throwing more splitters. He's throwing more breaking pitches. And that that's only a good thing because even though his fastball is good and it is good, throwing a, a good fastball 80% of the time, is, it's still going to get hit eventually. So I'm, I think Harvey, that this is going to be better for him in the long term. It's going to make him a better reliever. I The under the hood stuff isn't as good as it was last year, but I expect it to improve. And th- the home run that he gave up to Jorge Soler was in an honest to God, like save situation. Like Kyle Finnegan pitched the eighth, he pitched the ninth. And I think that was the first, maybe the second time that that situation has actually happened this year. So it's really unfortunate that he did have to face one of the best fastball hitters in baseball in his, in his save opportunity. But I do think it's going to happen before the end of the year. So if you need a long-term save stash, I think Harvey is a good guy to add. I was more upset at the fact that Josiah Gray was actually in line to get a win in that That's scenario. Too. And then when that happened, I was like, all right, that wasn't meant to be. <laughs> Josiah Gray isn't in the deep graduate. I did a, I did one of my deep dives on him earlier this year. So that does hurt. <laughs> All right, Kevin, you got a nice name on here. Only I say that because I picked him up in a bunch of places last year or last week after talking to Todd. Todd mentioned him as like a super flyer. Talk to me about why Miguel Castro is going to be a lot more rostered after this fab period. Yeah, Todd Todd would in step with a lot of main event players because Miguel Castro is 91% rostered in those 15 team leagues, but he is widely available in 12 team leagues. And this is a share of the closer role in Arizona. And in the off season, we thought this would be a share of the closer role, although we had no idea who the pitchers would be and we didn't want any part of it. All of a sudden the Arizona Diamondbacks are a pretty darn good baseball team. They're only two and a half games behind the Dodgers. They're winning baseball games and a timeshare isn't so bad when we're looking at picking up some potential saves here. Miguel Castro, I know these types of results aren't great analysis, but it just points to the fact that they're using him in high leverage situations. He's got two saves, a hold, and a win in his last four outings. They play 13 out of 14 days over the next two weeks. So both him and Chafin, who has struggled a little bit, so Castro might get the nod a little more often than Chafin 
in the save opportunities. But both of these guys will probably get opportunities with 13 games in the next 14 days in the next two scoring periods. And Castro's been great. Yeah, Castro's gotten the last two saves for Arizona. A lot of people would say that the save he got on Wednesday was because Chafin had just pitched two the last two games. But Chafin hasn't pitched like the rest of the week. And the next opportunity that came along, Castro was the guy that they turned to to close out the game. And Chafin was not. So I, I like this call out. I think this, especially even in 12-teamers, that uh, he's going to be a he's going to be a pretty popular target in Fab this week. It's always good to be a week ahead when it works out. <laughs> it doesn't always work out, but it is nice to be a week ahead when it does. Absolutely. All right, my favorite category here. I love to hear what you guys are going to say about the our wild card section here. It's our final category. Pretty much any player that didn't fit into any of the categories we talked about earlier. Maybe it's a stash. Maybe it's a getting a guy that's about to get off the IL. Whatever reason you guys have is fair game. Kevin, I'll let you start it off here. Who are you looking at to stash if possible? This completely depends on leagues and format. Royce Lewis is not rostered in a main event or a $350 online championship league. Now, he was drafted in some of those. I know that because early in draft season, I was drafting Royce Lewis. All right. Prior to February 26th, when he was placed on the 60-day IL, there was hope that he may be back a little sooner than it appears is getting close to imminent now. He's a he's first eligible to come off of the IL on May 29th. Even if he does not quite make that, I expect him with the we talked about it earlier and right off the bat of the show with Julian coming back because of all the roster issues that Minnesota has right now. We're gonna see Royce Lewis soon. I haven't even brought up the fact that in his first 18 plate appearances in his minor league rehab, or I don't even know if it's considered a rehab, just going to the minor leagues to start his season. He's eight for 18 with three home runs to start his season. If he keeps up anywhere close to this, we may not see him on May 29th, but we're going to see him soon. And he is going to be in the lineup for the Minnesota twins, hopefully for a long period. Finally, because after his up and down injury riddled minor league career, He looked amazing when we finally saw him for a little while at the major league level last season in leagues where there's not any restrictions on stashing minor league players or players that need to be on the 26-man roster. Grab him now because next weekend will be too late. Royce Lewis is just that player that you'd be really hard-pressed to find somebody who's not rooting for him, whether you roster him on a fancy team or not. It's hard to find somebody who's rooting against him. If nothing else, like more than likely, you're just rooting for this guy to be successful at some point, based on all the injuries that he's dealt with, all the hardships he's had. And so, I would like to. I I definitely fall in that boat. I would like to see. I don't have Roy Lewis in any league. We'll I don't either right changes. now, but I drafted him in several, so I know yeah. he's available out there in some of those <laughs> NFBC leagues. If you're in a league with Kevin, <laughs> check your wire. Check your wire. He's probably out no, there. Don't. No, are you? <laughs> don't listen to this. Don't. Listen. I'll cut that out. All right, Chris. Finish this off here. Who might you be stashing away if if your roster allows it? 
All right. I had a little bit of fun with this one I because I'm looking ahead. I think Bo Naylor has a chance to be a really impactful catcher bat this year. And this is looking at what just happened with the Mets. I'm confused as to why Bo Naylor is not up yet for Cleveland because it's the same situation, right? The Mets had Eduardo Escobar hitting like absolutely terrible. They had a good prospect in, at that position. They called him up. The Guardians catching situation is abysmal. Like they have gotten negative 0.3 war from the position this year. They've gotten negative war out of their catcher position. And that includes defense, which Zanino is pretty good at. Cam Gallagher is pretty good at. But Zanino has put up a 67 WRC plus. Gallagher's put up a negative 23 WRC plus as the backup catcher. That is hard to do. Very hard to do. Whereas Bo Naylor is very good. I want to believe that the reason he was being held back is because of inconsistent defense. I don't want to say bad defense because I I watched him a good bit at the WBC and this is very amateur scouting. Please make a note of that if he is actually very (laughs) good at defense, but he seemed inconsistent. Like depending on the play, he either looked incredible and ready or he just wasn't like paying enough attention or whatever. Like, it, like there were, there were some plays where I was like, really? He let that pitch get by? Like he, he didn't throw his body in front of that. So I, maybe it was a defensive inconsistency thing that's keeping him down, but he's doing what he's always done in the minors this year and hitting the heck out of the ball. He's walking at a near 20% rate, which, you know, I, I love plate discipline. I love a player who has a good idea of the strike zone. So I, anticipate Bo Naylor up before the end of the year. I'm frankly surprised that he's not up yet. So I'm looking forward to his call up. I think he's a good stash. I know I said I'm not looking at these rosters for a while, if at all, but I do know that I have Bo Naylor in at least one of those gladiator leagues that I drafted. So I am with you. I hope he's up sooner rather than later, just so I can stop taking a zero at that position. And yeah, you alluded to it. Cleveland. As far as their their war and their what they're getting out of that catcher position, no team is being run on at a higher clip than the Cleveland Guardians. Sixteen percent of their opportunities are being taken by their opponents on the base pass, and their caught stealing rate of about just around eighty five percent. Sorry, their stolen base percentage is at 85%, which is well above league average of about 78%. And so they could use a change behind the plate just in that regard alone. So I love this call. So as a homer, I do also have to very briefly mention Ronnie Mauricio, who is absolutely obliterating the ball in AAA. He's, he, he's, he's, I'm surprised he hasn't been called up yet. That is another roster crunch situation. It feels like Kanha should be sent to the bench. McNeil sent to left field and call up Mauricio to play second base. But he's only just started playing second base a couple of weeks ago. So I, I assume they want to see him a little bit more there before they make a move. But he's never going to walk. So everyone out there who's but plate discipline. I just said I love plate discipline. I don't care. Roddy Mauricio has been hitting the ball so hard, so frequently, so well this year. I want to see if he can do it against the majors. He's another one who had a fantastic spring. All right, good call out there as well. We'll see if how much defense they need him to work on before they finally make that move. All right, Kevin, I know that you, as you alluded to at the beginning of the show, you've only had 24 hours to think about it, but I'm going to give you your platform at the end of the show for any final thoughts you might have for everybody listening. 
just as usual, something we all know, but it, sometimes it's nice to get a little reminder. It's time. It's time to look at categories. I know a lot of people won't even look at standings until Memorial Day. That That's only a week away, right? It's time to look at your categories and be realistic about what you need to do with your rosters. And not just that, it's time to take that into account when you're setting your starting lineup. When you're making a decision between a couple of different players that you have eligible at the same position, it's time to start paying attention to categories. It's not something we can wait till August and September to do. It matters now. That is excellent point. I know it's something that I started doing about two weeks ago, a little bit more more so than I had in the past. It was like one of my lessons learned from previous seasons. So I think it's a great call out here. Don't wait till Memorial Day. Make sure you're chipping away at what you can now. Pay attention. Chris, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. As Mr. Nick Pollock tends to say, we tend to go a little long on this podcast. So I appreciate you sticking around for the entirety of it. Let everybody remind everybody where they can continue to listen to your beautiful voice. Whether or not it's the smart half or not, doesn't matter. They can still listen to you and where they can find any other work you're doing. Look, I don't want people to think that I'm being like self-deprecating or something. I'm super <laughs> smart. It's just that Jordan is like much, he's so smart. You can find us at the, the podcast is in the deep fantasy baseball. The shared podcast account is at in the deep PL. And then my personal account is at Schwebzi, which is S H W E B S I. People love throwing a C in there for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> and you can find my co-host Jordan at Bunt Singles, but follow me, not him, because he has a hundred more followers than me right now. And I'm trying to catch up. Catch up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for episode 115 of On The Wire. Make sure you are subscribing, sharing and reviewing the podcast wherever you are listening. We'll be back every Sunday with detailed fab breakdowns throughout the 2023 season. And of course, Keep a lookout for Brett Ford's companion article over at PitcherList.com that comes out every Sunday afternoon as well. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. Once again, thank our guest Christopher Weber for joining us this week. Follow him at Schwebzy. No C in that. And after all that, I am Adam Howe. And on behalf of Kevin Hasting, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye. Goodbye.